So I have a question. I have two ways I could start off this episode. Okay. Um, one is fun. One is slightly annoying. Which which would you prefer? Oh, it's so e- it's such an easy choice, man. You want to go with fun? No, annoying. You want to go with annoying? <laughs> Why would I want an, anno- an annoying start? I don't know. Let's, here, uh, can you tell me have, what? Well, let's have a little fun. Let's here, just do on. them both. We, you want to do, do annoying? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with fun. Okay, fun. Let's let's listen to some music. Okay. 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 Yeah. This is a journey. Would you join me, please, and welcome any? Redeem a full of culture. I got so much trouble on my mind. Refuse to lose. Here's your ticket. Here's the drama get wicked. The food to you to put the back to black attack. So I sack it jack and slap the Mac. Now I'm ready to mic it. Here's my favoritism, Rolo. Never be a brother like me, go solo. Do you recognize that? Uh, it takes an, uh, it's public enemy. It's public enemy. Um, in 2001, The Onion, the AV Club, interviewed Chuck D. Yeah. And, they, and The Onion said, asked him, you've worked with a lot of interesting artists. Could you describe what it was like working with each of the following people? Let's start with Sonic Youth. <laughs> Chuck D. Yeah, yeah, we shared a studio together. It was a no-brainer to participate on Goo. It was cool. Wow. Like okay, that's that's all he had to say about that. It was cool. I'm um, I'm surprised because everything that I heard was basically like he was sort of wrangled into this thing that he was like what he was, <laughs> he was like okay and like Kim Gordon was really like okay you have to do this this is like you know we're we're huge fans and you know they love the sound of it takes a, a nation of millions to hold us back they were like work I think they were maybe even working with the producer at one point or with somebody involved in that recording because of it. And, uh, and yeah, and, and they were like, come on, you just come in and just do whatever. And he was like, okay, well, sure. I guess I think having like no idea really, but that's, if he's right. a good sport about it, that's awesome. Cause I would expect him to kind of shit talk that, but that's great. Hey, good. So on them. my name is Matt. I'm Jason. And, uh, we started this podcast because we've been friends since high school and we played in a lot of bands together. Uh, music's always been a part of our friendship. And we listen to some music. And some of it's good. Some of it's not good. But they're just records that are really important. Let's just say that. Yeah, they're albums that are meaningful to us. And this <laughs> podcast is called We Listen <laughs> to Records. I'm never going to get tired of that. No, it's great. And, and we had to use it number two so to be really cool. We got to be totally right. original. Oh man! That's so good. The number two makes me think of the '90s. Yeah, and well, I want to. I want to take you back. I've got a bunch of stuff to play for you, but <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna start with. Please. I'm gonna. This is a little long, so just ride it out here. Okay. I'm take you back to the summer of 1990. And in the summer of 1990, the only way to hear independent music outside of college radio was between midnight and 2 a.m. Do you remember this? 120 minutes. 120 minutes with what was the dude's fucking name? Dave. Dave Kendall. Kendall. <laughs> All right. 
Hang on to your shorts. Oh, We're going back to the summer yes. of 1990. Oh, man, before pre-goo. Coming up on the new music marathon, conversation with Sonic Youth and videos from the Soup Dragons, Yola Tango, and Iggy Pop. But first, time to check out College Radio's top 10 records. Surprise, surprise, Gene loves Jezebel are at 10 for a fourth week. As Jane's Addiction debut at 9 with their third album, Ritual De Lo Habitual. Debut number two comes oh my from the Scottish band, The Soup Dragons, as Ultra Vivid <laughs> dropped down four slots to number seven. Number six has become a native place for Gary Newby and the Railway Children, as has number five for Roddy Freeman, Aztec Camera. Love and Rocky Faces, David J drops down to two to four as Iggy Pop moves up one brick to three <laughs> brick by brick Boston Iggy Pop moves up one black Francis in the good for him at two and for the sixth week in a row America's <laughs> number one alternative album is from tonight's special guest Sonic Youth Sickle. dude right holy shit that was like, was like a list of forgotten too much 90s that you just gave me holy fuck <laughs> That was amazing. amazing. What a list. What a list. Um, so, yeah, that this I found this. Basically, somebody trimmed that whole episode down just to the interviews with Sonic Youth. So we can play them throughout. It's oh, wow. uh, Thurston Moore and Steve Shelley are the people. That, you know, and it's amazing. I just want to okay. say uh, I'm reading this book, uh, the Sonic Youth book I've had on my shelf forever that I finally had an excuse to like really dive into this last week. Um, the Sonic Youth Confusion is next. The Sonic Youth story by Alex Fogue. And uh, uh, just reading about Goo, I was uh, the one cool thing that you were mentioning interviews was that like he talks about there was being there on the like press day one of Goo. And basically Mm -hmm. it was all four members of the band like giving one giant interview, but pieces at a time. So they would just like pick up where the last interview left off and kind of keep talking about whatever they wanted to the next person. But oh, he said, what was amazing is that they were giving interviews. Like Thurston Moore was on the phone to, uh, the Boston Phoenix while he's giving an interview to like some guy zine also. And then like somebody else is talking to like spin. He worked for spin, I think at the time. And mm-hmm. then somebody else is like, they were literally were like, we want to talk to anyone that wants to talk to us that has, and like, that was obviously super unusual for a band on Geffen records. So there they were at Geffen, like with like just millions of rando people giving these interviews. And I well, really, I, man, I have to like, I have to love this band for oh just God. Well, that. For our listeners, because I think thing. we put the cart before the horse yes. on this one. Yes. This week. I have picked one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, sorry. Who <laughs> by Sonic Youth. Yeah. 1990. Um, we will probably cover Sonic Youth in excruciating detail on this podcast. Most of their albums are worth attention. Um, I really want to do Daydream Nation, but there's a reason why we're going to save that one for a little bit. Um, Goo is absolutely amazing. Jay, why don't you just kick it off? Let's listen to some music. Let's start with Dirty oh, Boots. Shit. Okay. You got it. Let me just pull that up. No, oh, you don't even have it racked no, up. I'm ready. Huh? I'm ready. Here comes. This is a professional podcast. This is, I'm a professional. Oh, you hear it. It's coming. There it is. It's going to be loud, I think.
Okay, we, we really have to get into Sonic Youth. I'm assuming everybody listening to this knows a little bit about them, but just a kind of a super duper quick overview. Sure. Son- Sonic Youth is a four piece band that started like 1979 or 1980 in yeah. New York. Yeah. Um, for it, the. And, and they're really unique in a lot of ways, but it's Thurston Moore who plays guitar and sings on some songs. Uh, Kim Gordon, his wife, now ex wife. Um, they were like the power couple of rock for a long time, um, and they and they both Thurston and Kim and Lee Ronaldo, who plays the other guitar, all have been in like eight fucking million side projects with yeah. Beastie Boys and Chuck D. And all like, after the fact, like, though, all during Sonic Youth. All I mean, Sonic, Sonic Youth, Youth was like first, I mean, Sonic and Youth only just... broke up like a couple years ago. Um, That's true. And then the drummer is Steve Shelley, who's just not just, but is an amazing drummer and is also a very important part of Sonic Youth. But what's crazy about this band is all of the three main people write songs. So there's no unifying principle to an album. It's like like they've all agreed that each of them gets three or four songs on the album. And it's like, oh, that's Kim's song. That's Thurston's song. That's Lee's song, right? Totally. Not, not, not only just that, but they, they split uh, royalties with everybody which is unusual too because they said some of the side projects that they've done have had issues because of people unwilling to sort of follow that sort of idea of like hey you're in the band you played on the record you share you know even if Thurston writes it it's a four-way split right which again I think is they're coming out of a, of a very DIY underground aesthetic they're coming out of a very specific subculture uh, well, of music. Well, to me, and then, to yeah. me, they were they were coming out of honestly like performance art because yeah. because they did all that stuff with uh, Reese Chatham and his they were like Glenn Branca and all of that like you know white columns here in New York and they were just sort of playing weird alternative spaces but also with people who were doing specifically you know experimental music. Right, and they, so they came and, up and in that scene. I've always sort of seen them as 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 really more like fine artists or something than you know. It's like oh, this okay. art project, really. Well, and that's I'm looking at their discography. This is their sixth album, which came out in 1990. Their first album came out in '83. Yeah, that's and crazy. The first three or four things that they do are definitely like art, noise, experimental. Mm-hmm. I think by '87 they do Sister, which I still is very experimentally noisy there are one or two songs on there that have kind of like poppy hooks right 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 and then daydream nation from 88 which we'll talk about which is yeah. really really their transition yeah in yeah. a lot of ways so by 1990 goo is like they're on geffen records they're huge they're the yeah. top record so i want to play this little tidbit of that um okay. interview so hold on this is, we're going to go back to 120 minutes and mr dave kendo oh god <laughs> Special guests on 120 Minutes tonight, two members of Sonic Youth, guitarist Thurston Moore and drummer Steve Shelley. How many times have people asked you whether you've sold out in the past few months? Oh, now that you have a major nice. label deal. You're the first. I don't believe that. Great question, Dave. I've been asked quite a bit, but not face to face. And uh, I'm just going to pause it right there for a second. 
Christian just threw so much fucking shade at Dave Kendall. And then he looks stone out of his mind. And he just, he just like, Dave Kendall just looks like he just is so defeated. Well, good. What kind of a fucking question? I mean, honestly, what, what you're doing hard hitting journalism uh, when Sonic Youth comes on your stupid show? Hey, so let me throw this hardball question at you the second you fucking sit down. Yeah, Stop tell it, you, Dave. Say Kendall. Sold out. Well, here, let me keep playing it. Hold sold on. out. Yeah, so we sold out. Big deal. <laughs> What's it to you? I mean, it's like we've been on an independent label for uh, 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Is that something that worries you? I mean, do you Fuck feel you. like you have some kind of independent standards to uphold? No. When we first started, it, it wasn't so much. Uh, I mean, we had nowhere to go anyway. The idea of being on a major label was uh, was so far fetched to begin with, and somebody uh, yeah. to say Thursday is doing shit. Well, um, but guess but guess what else? They're one of the only bands still, and people follow their example now to have complete creative control. And they told Geffen that from the beginning. They said, "Well, sure, we'll do this, but we want complete creative control over the records." whatever we put out for you in our contract. And we want the ability to do whatever fucking side project we want under our own 2000 labels, which, which I have to say, Dave Kendall, you fuck Thurston. I mean, uh, Thurston Moore's label ecstatic piece. I mean, he has put out the, some of the most interesting, I mean, the guy is like Alan Lomax of experimental underground weirdo crazy music to this day, putting out stuff, that nobody probably would not not because the, you know, but financially or what I mean, he's like given back to the interesting music community like since day one, okay. since day fucking one. Dave Kendall. Well, here I found when I was researching this, I found <laughs> this damn. interview with Sonic Youth um, from the Guardian, the British magazine. Okay, and this is from uh, nineteen ninety. But the whole thing is sort of framed around like Factory Records. What was that guy's name? Tony. Uh, they, made that, uh, yeah. they made that movie about 24, 24 hour party people. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and the, so they're basically saying like, are, you know, are, are you guys stealing from what's going on in, in Manchester? Are you guys, you know, stealing is from Sonic uh, Youth England? stealing from what? Really? Well, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's a weird article, but everything they're trying to like fit Sonic Youth into what's going on in Manchester. Yeah, it's like, okay. no. So, <laughs> sure. so, so anyway, to sort of deepen the article to your point, Thurston is answering a question about um, style. Okay. And, and so Thurston Moore says, take a band like My Bloody Valentine, who would totally change their musical style from one day to the next. To us, that's like, forget it, just cross it out. That's why we're so cynical about bands who jump sound bandwagons. I mean, if the Soup Dragons lived in New York, would they all be voguing? Man, people have to be into disco in New York for years. And in the Italian sections of the town, people have been wearing flares for a lot longer than the Stone Roses. Right. So he's just trashing all (laughs) of these bands that change their sound with the trend. Um, like my bloody Valentine and the Soup Dragons. Oh, that's crazy. You said that about that. Like in one quote. It's great. Wow. Wow. So I just you, know, you know what's funny, funny, too, is that I was reading about that whole history they had with Madonna, how basically, like, they were sort of in the same circles in the early 80s, mm-hmm. um, just in, like, their nobody cared about the music scene, and uh, how they did that, like, Chaconi Youth record. Chaconi Youth, The Fear of a yeah, Planet. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and, and it's funny, because I think even um, Mike D and the BC Boys uh, in this book are talking about how, like... Sonic Youth was what got them to 
Cause they were sort of, they were like, well, we went as far as we could with Paul's boutique. Like we went sample fucking crazy with technology, like as far as we could take it, what are we going to do next? And they were, and they were like, always like, man, Sonic Youth is like just still doing amazing, like guitar, just whatever. And they were like, let's go into the studio with just drums, bass, and guitar. And, yep. and that was that check your head. And they were totally, they said that's totally because of Sonic Youth. And, um, also that well, here, single let's let's listen to some where more they music did it, wait, because, but they did a single a seven inch that i have where they cover uh get into the beat yes they and, do a lot of madonna covers and they, they do did a ton it of seriously it was they say they say in this book they're like it was not a joke we did it as seriously as we could and they well, did it by listening whole, like, they did CD it by somewhere i think it's got six or eight madonna covers on it and they're like noisy right i mean anybody familiar with sonic youth is just like s- feedback and sonic dissonance right. and like layers of noise and then like like there's a version of get into the groove yes. that it like took me like 20 listens to to be like oh there's the part where it's like they're covering madonna it's so yeah. buried but it's in there yeah 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 so here's the thing dirty boots yeah. i would you know, as much as I understand about Sonic Youth, I would call that first track we listen. You know, we listened to a little slice of it. "Dirty Boots" is definitely a um, a Thurston song. And yes, I was going to say, why don't we listen to? Uh, why don't we throw on "Cool Thing" because this is clearly like a Lee Ronaldo, Kim Gordon like theme up here. This was the first, my first exposure to Sonic Youth. Yeah. With like Lee Ronaldo in like a pink feathery boa. Oh, the video? In like tight, like pink short shorts. (laughs) And fucking Chuck D comes out. And in my high school, like literally 50% of the kids in my high school wore Public Enemy shirts to school every day. Oh, wow. Public Enemy was unbelievably huge in my high school. Wow, your school was way more progressive. To me, like even though I wasn't into, into it, like I knew who Chuck D was like he was like a mega celebrity and so here's this like random band that I was like oh this is interesting and I'm into the sound and then out came Chuck D man I ran out and bought this album as soon as I wow. possibly could see that's so funny my reaction to this at the time was like 
oh, this is, is this just like a one-off? Like, I wasn't that familiar with Sonic Youth other than to know that they were, from what I had heard, sort of like I had trouble putting them together as the same band. Like, I would hear songs right. and like, they're so wildly different that I had no idea what Sonic Youth was as a band, you know, like what their right. identity was. Because you can only, you know, I have, it has to be simple when you're in high school. It's, and uh, we know Chuck D was. So I was like, what? what is this band doing like getting Chuck D to do this it just it felt like a, a very like uh, such a kind of um, you know choreographed moment that was like right. oh okay two, two labels or somebody's trying to get these two together and make a bunch of money and whatever you know that's well, that's like, the way I like cynically also, looked at it at the time think about it like the way Sonic Youth works because the songs in the album are so diverse and, and all over the place yeah even if, if you were into this song, even if you got this record, it was possible that you wouldn't like the rest of it. Oh, definitely. Right? Yeah. Much less you, you like this song and you go out and you can't find this album, so you get Evol or you get oh, you know God. one of the early ones. You get Sister. <laughs> right. And suddenly you're like, what the fuck am I listening to? Where's yeah. Chuck D? Yeah, right. You know, oh, because Sonic Youth has such a... Uh, like a specific sound but a range of songs and a range of things that they do yeah. that like if you were like this is the thing that's going to get me to listen to Sonic Youth you're like set up for disappointment in yeah, a lot right, of ways right yeah it's, it's it, yeah I mean again it's just it's a it's a a real case of them just being such a part of the music scene that it was just a, another day to like oh yeah like there's another weird story i was reading about jay mascus being in the studio for when they record when um they recorded a tunic song for karen and there's a backing track of him and uh kim gordon singing carpenter songs like very quietly in the background you can barely <laughs> hear it and it's like holy shit like they just they know everybody they've been around forever yeah. So you know what? Yeah, Jay Mask, hey, you're playing a show. Why don't you come down to the studio and uh, we'll just fuck around? I mean, this, well, you know. Daydream Nation has a whole song that's just light piano under a phone message from <laughs> Mike Watt. Right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's, well, that's exactly. Hold on. It's, pause the music. Yeah, yeah, I want to okay, play okay, a little okay. more okay. of this Dave Candle bullshit interview for oh, you. please. You ready? Never. Never ready for Dave Candle. Well, here he is. Sonic Youth with Cool Thing. Now, the song was originally written about LL Cool J. LL Cool J. Chuck was, D, a public enemy in there, right? Yeah, LL Cool J was uh, just sort of a catalyst for the song. Um, Chuck D was in the studio when we were recording it. Public Enemy was recording Fear of a Black Planet at the same time that we were recording Goo. And... Uh, when Kim was laying down her vocal track for that song, she asked Chuck if he'd want to like do a piece of it, and he heard the song and he complied. Sonic Youth have a new album called Goo. We're going to talk more about wait, wait. that in a second. <laughs> he complied. He, he complied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's probably how it went. He was like, "Okay, <laughs> sure." Kim just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, you have to do this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you know what? They no, don't I give mean, a fuck because the thing about they have that youth, like, credibility. I mean, imagine a world where, first of all, imagine a world where Fear of a Black Planet didn't exist yet. Imagine <laughs> being Sonic Youth, like underground New York noise band in the room recording next door to Public Enemy. Yeah. But, you, <laughs> like, but at the same I mean, just time, all though, of the things that happened in that like very... Yeah two seconds of interview is amazing well but it that's i guess that speaks to like new york city in that time yeah. period also but but also i think that you know on one hand you probably have you know 
these bands from two different planets. I mean, Sonic Youth as experimental and weirdo as they are, they're also like the old guard. I mean, they've been around. They like if Public Enemy is even you know a tiny bit of the musicians that they are they know about them and their legacy and they're like okay sure you know it's not like this like oh who who the fuck are these guys like no way yeah, nobody's we, yeah. doing that this is like the scene was way tinier i'm sure and especially you know you're like oh look public enemy i'm totally into them or right. there's, you know, well, so. at this point, there's a track on fear of a black planet. <clears throat> that's basically, I forget what it's called, but there's a dude, it's the audio of a dude who called into a radio show yeah. complaining that he saw public enemy open for the beastie boys. And he thought <laughs> that they were offensive. <laughs> oh, really? Right? I don't remember so, that. So at oh this God. point in like public wow. enemies arc, yeah. they're already touring with the beastie boys. We know that Sonic youth and the beastie boys were like close oh, for yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it kind of all makes that's sense. That, like sure. yeah, small world, small city kind of thing well okay to another to another point of how the kind of circles that sonic youth ran in uh around neil young around this time was touring with some album and right. was like and had them had sonic youth on a short list to open for him on his west coast tour and it mm -hmm. ended up being it, he ended up taking sonic youth with him and they, there's some quote in the book is like, so what did you think they were going to do? You know, cause fans were kind of like, what the fuck? And, uh, and Sonic youth had this like, kind of like a great time. Uh, there's a quote from Thurston, like we had an awesome time. We had a terrible time. We had a great time. It was the worst time. It was everything. <laughs> It was, it was, <laughs> cause they had to play like quieter than Neil, obviously. Like, of course they had to pull that stupid, uh, you know, you can't be as loud as like the headlining band. So they were annoyed about that. They would do things like take the chairs, like all the front the chairs. Cause they're, oh, you know, the, the audience wasn't really there. So they would take all the chairs and put them on stage or like they'd go down and just play in front of where, who are <laughs> <laughs> awesome. like, but they're touring with Neil Young and they were like, Neil Young was like, I love Daydream Nation. I think Expressway to Your Skull is like one of the greatest guitar Shit. rock songs. You know, so like, that's who Sonic Youth is. Everyone fucking well, knows about there's that. There's so much and that we need to like cover. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I saw them live on the Dirty Tour. So the album that came out after this okay, in 92. Nice. Yeah. With the boredoms opening. Yeah, right. And it, Another example of them like taking, they would do that all the time, take these crazy bands around who, who they were influenced by and who were very, you know, this is was, like... It was in a tiny space. It was at the University, State University of New York, Binghamton, SUNY Binghamton. Wow. I drove down and stayed with some kid that you and I know from summer camp. Yeah. And um, like, yeah, it was a tiny room and it was deafening and yeah it was just sonic sonic youth and they did a grand finale where all members of both bands came out on stage and it was like three drummers and it was just like oh, that shit that's awesome um i didn't appreciate them enough to really want to go see them i was just sort of like yeah i know of sonic youth and goo is great oh, man, i know I you played so goo fun. all the time and so i was into sick. it but uh but man i should have uh well, actually random story my way. i bought a t-shirt at that show yeah and it was like a cartoon, almost like Japanese style comic of the members of Sonic Youth in like space outfits. <laughs> and all it was in, I assume Japanese. I don't actually know if it was Japanese. I always assumed it was Japanese. Right. Um, and it said something across the back. It said Sonic Youth in English and then something under it in what I think was Japanese characters. <laughs> and the, the T-shirt itself was like mustard yellow. Yeah. This was my 
favorite thing on earth. I wore it every day until it <laughs> fell apart. Uh, that's how I, in the Smashing Pumpkins episode, we talk about my stupid right. Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt. I think that's how I ended up wearing that one is because I destroyed my favorite Sonic Youth t-shirt. So a couple of years ago, I was like, well, I want to see if I can get one of those on yeah. eBay or something. Yeah. So somebody's reprinting them, you know, sure. cheapo. Of course. But I was like, I was like, I want to get like an original tour air shirt. Yeah. On eBay, that t-shirt is selling for like a thousand dollars. Oh my God. Um, yeah, there's I'm not a even weird kidding. I was, it wasn't. It was like I was willing market. to pay up to like eighty or hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, and, but That's it was awesome. like it was so far outside of where I was willing to go. I was like, I'm not even. Jesus. I'm not even trying this. Um, um, but I've really, right. I've really, I've legitimately heard that Thurston Moore is like a super record collector, and I would not be surprised if well, you're like, a super record collector. Well, maybe well, hang out with him. No, but what I'm what I'm saying is like the tiniest of labels with like less than three hundred copies. I would not be surprised that he has all of that stuff always. And just right. is like constantly. And now he's, I, I know he has something to do with um, a label out of Massachusetts that is also equally as weird as ecstatic piece called uh, shit. Mm-hmm. Well, here, uh, let's play some music anyway. and you can look it up. Um, I'm going to let you choose. Do you want to listen to my friend goo or Mildred Pierce? Make it happen. This album, it comes, it comes out, in my mind, I remember this as a cassette. I think of this as coming from the cassette oh, tape nice. era, yeah. right? Yeah. And, but whether you're talking about vinyl or cassettes, the same logic applies, which is that there's a side A and a side B. Yep. And bands, well, a lot, like, especially if you had control over your, your albums. Like, if you're coming out on a major label, I don't know how much control you had. Right. But, you know, Sonic Youth definitely fought for control. And one of the things that they were always really good at is side A is kind of distinct from side B. Yeah. And when I think of Sonic Youth, like there's Dirty Boots, Tunic, Mary Christ, Cool Thing, and Moat is like its own album. Almost. Okay, yeah. Like Moat really ends side one with this long, we'll, we'll play out this podcast on Moat. I think that's probably the best one. <laughs> um, but it's just like a Lee Ronaldo sprawling, beautiful, epic like sonic dissonant thing and then you flip it over and you get my friend who has a real tattoo and it's like what the fuck just happened yeah, yeah but yeah. they're they're starting over it's like it's like hitting the reset button and yeah. telling you like this side has got a whole different flavor you know yeah yeah no it's true I, they, i'm sure that was something they they were aware of and, and thinking about um i was just thinking about all of the uh, alternate tunings and how they you know they were, were literally like carrying around 
a hundred oh, guitars play, with them. Turn this part up. This is awesome. Okay. saying a second yeah. ago so that was the start of a song called disappearer yeah um and you were you were talking about the tunings but like the the thing about sonic youth is is how they ebb and flow between ugliness and beauty can you talk more about that well uh the what that was what that made me think of again when i was listening to this this morning was um i've been also listening to a podcast called uh, i only listen to the mountain goats which is <laughs> really good and they they basically that's kind of the the idea and they actually talk to John Darnielle um, about all of his records and everything and uh, one thing he was talking about that I thought was really interesting in one of the first episodes was how he didn't really understand alternate tunings or whatever until he started just uh, trying it out and how it was so foreign like it made the guitar like this brand new thing because he was like I don't know where any chords are I don't know how to get the sounds that I want so it, it all of a sudden took him out of his comfort zone to force him into like figuring out this instrument and coming up with something weird and I feel and 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 thinking about that last night I was like oh my god I think that's what was you know a it must have been like a huge reason for for sonic youth to, to be picking up these shitty hundred dollar guitars and then tuning them with all the same string to fucking what g and then going yeah, i don't know what this is gonna sound like let's fuck, right. let's fuck around with this <laughs> and you know and and like let's that's so much more thing. interesting than anything you could ever try to sit down and write in your bedroom with a regular tuned guitar like i love that they're approaching that that stuff like that and that and that all goes back to the they're they're originating out of the sort of experimental mm. scene and 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 treating these things as as you know sort of not these sacred rock objects but just yeah. uh hey well, let's the, see what happens thing i remember so this album came out in 1990 and it was a big deal um it's hard to remember because of what would happen, but I don't know. Do you remember a VHS documentary that I had? It was called 1991, The Year Punk Oh, Poker. yes, of course. And it was billed as a Sonic Youth tour video. Yeah, it was actually. I and mean, it was Sonic was... Youth, but it was also Mud Honey Nirvana right. during their, like, like the tour literally happened when Nevermind was released. So Nirvana went from unfamous to famous in the middle of the tour that the film is about. Well, and this is, uh, this is one of those, this, again, this is them, this is them sort of sharing the wealth and giving back because this was literally like they had hired somebody to document their tour. And right. it just happened that they were playing all these shows and especially with Nirvana. And they were like, yeah, fucking let's, uh, you know, put, let's cut them into it and do this whole thing. I mean, that was just literally going to be for them. And they right. happen to be at the right place and, and look at all these other bands and grunge is happening. And they're like, hey, it's not all about us. This is some cool shit happening over here. The yeah. year punk broke. Well, I, lo I love that title too. Yeah. Punk <laughs> broke. And it's like, 
it, it, you could take that both ways. It's like it was underground, and then somebody, the mainstream, showed up and broke it. Right. That, right. That's, that's sort of an interpretation. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you and I talk about this all the time, but how quickly we go from never mind to limp biscuit. You know, from Nirvana <laughs> to, to how long to is that again? Fred Durst, it's like, like nine because months? just so instantaneously <laughs> after that moment. Do you know? No, how long? Um, honestly, how long is it? It's like four years. Oh, four years. years. Okay, <laughs> it's longer than I thought. Nine months. No, I heard yeah. somebody told me something about going from like something to uh, Vanilla Ice was like. Oh, that was me. Yeah, what Vanilla is that? Ice, Tell me what Ice that Ice is. Baby. Yeah. To the end of his career, which includes two albums and a movie, is only like nine and a half. It's months. nine months. <laughs> I heard That's that on a, on, a, on a podcast about the movie oh, Cool as Ice. That's amazing. And I was like, yeah, that makes about. Makes, makes I mean, that's amazing, though. Come on. Um, <laughs> but but no, like, but if you go from like Nirvana, Nevermind, Sonic Youth, Goo, Pixies, Tromplemon, yeah, or um, or Doolittle, well, yeah, and and then all of a sudden, it, like, bust through Jane's Addiction. All of a sudden, it, like, it becomes part of the mainstream. In, in all of this stuff that was interesting and underground and unique and just finding its own way. Yeah. And and then all you know, Geffen, you know, Goo is on Geffen, right? Right. So like all these major labels are grabbing up everything. And then when when all of the cool, interesting, authentically underground properties were bought up, they just started making, you know, the grunge rock equivalent of boy bands and just yeah. throwing together things that they could sell as grunge. And you know, by the time you've got Stone Temple Pilots in like ninety three, it's like over. <laughs> you know? And fucking Limp Biscuit just kind of like, you know, puts the last nail in the coffin. Yeah, I pick on and Limp Biscuit, but Insane Clown Posse also existed at the time. Um, oh, man. You know, just like, it just like, it just was just corporate invented shit to capitalize on like the grunge moment. Well, you know, I don't know. I sort of look at it as like a gold rush of like, these bands were out there. It's just nobody cared about them and they didn't have the backing of like this distribution and the label. Whereas like yeah. something like, well, something like, let's face it, Nirvana and every record label goes, Sign up every stupid band that exists because there's another Nirvana out there and we don't want to get caught again with our pants down. So a, a, I think, a, I think a Nookie, that sounds great. Of Let's sign up. Is the soundtrack to the movie <laughs> Judgment Night. Yes. <laughs> yes. It came out in uh, September 1993. I pulled See, up the info. I have and to say, this, that's what I thought Cool Thing was like. Was like, oh, sure, yeah. Let's throw these two things together. Geffen oh, yeah. or whoever the fuck is putting this together. But, you know, that's, well, that's so from the outside who, without really knowing. doesn't know about this, there was a, a movie called Judgment Night which uh, was, um, I don't know what the plot is, but it was basically sort oh, of like... Oh, I'll tell you a, what the plot is. Uh, it was uh, Dennis Leary and his buddies or something have like a bachelor night or something in an RV and the RV takes like the wrong exit in Chicago or Baltimore where oh, right. they are. Oh, right, up in the wrong side yeah, of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have to like fight their way out like Escape from New York style or something. It's not, <laughs> not racist as fuck or anything. But whoever did the soundtrack was a genius because they, they were like, we're going to take kind these, of. these bands that are coming out of the like the grunge moment right. and force them to collaborate with hip-hop artists so let me just read a few of these collaborations oh, so 
helmet right yep. the like new york hardcore band mm-hmm. with Indian house time. of pain sure boston yeah. like hip-hop guys okay Great. slayer with tea with iced tea that's probably pretty good i mean that's good um, that's a good one dinosaur jr with del the funky homo sapien yeah. i'm not gonna read all of these but let me read a few yeah. pearl jam with cypress hill right oh my um, god also man. sonic youth with cypress hill which is an awesome yeah. track yeah it it's is called, good i love you mary jane <laughs> yeah. the, the, the last one i want to mention just because it is so fucking out there is mud honey right right like portland portland seattle mud honey right with sir mix a lot oh my god i forget every time i read every time i think about that record and i look at what actually happened it's mind-blowing yeah. it really is it was it's, for it's, this movie i mean run dmc with living color yeah. what the fuck yeah um no it's it's if you're listening to this podcast and you have not heard the judgment night soundtrack oh my God. do it once you will not regret it's it crazy <laughs> i mean again though like that's just like like perfect sonic youth of you know oh what there's you want us to do the soundtrack for um this movie called death valley 69 sure yeah we'll do it we'll do a whole soundtrack with lydia lunch and then we'll go record this thing for judgment night and then uh you know what else we'll uh Wait, we'll get I, I just pulled up sonic youth and cypress hill oh, i man, just gotta play right. through this we'll advertisement hold on um do you want do you want to hear a little sure. of this I, I i'm sure it'll come back to me i haven't listened to that in years Yeah, i just have to play through this Since 37 second youtube on, ad uh, but roommate um, stereo yeah but i mean <laughs> this was such an interesting time oh for God. music like this is right literally when punk broke like listening to goo is listening oh. to the transition between pre nevermind and post nevermind yeah, in right. a lot of ways yeah um okay well, Lollapalooza, uh, I mean, you name it. It was like, yeah, yeah, everything changed. All right, hold on. Here we go. Very sonic start. People had a lot more time in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. 56K modems. All right, guys, get to the point. that's as much as anybody oh yeah 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 it's like it's sort of like how hip-hop now there's like they rap and then there's just like a loop of some female vocals right 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 like right, right. kim gordon just does that loop for separate <laughs> basically. like somebody remixed a little sonic dissonance <laughs> underneath this thing um oh well God. i want to go i want to go back to the 120 minutes well for another little interview bit if you don't know oh yeah mind. please cheers jellyfish and lots lots more <laughs> Welcome back to 120 Minutes on MTV. Our special guest tonight, guitarist Thurston Moore and drummer Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth. Your new album is called Goo. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> Goo is the name of a girl um, who was featured in this film called Sir Drone that was directed by Raymond Pettibone, who did the cover art for our album. And she, uh, the, the film is about punk rock, the beginnings of punk rock. 
as taking place in Hollywood and Goo is the girl in the film and she plays the drums and that's her real name and I think Goo is pretty much uh, just this girl who sort of hangs around at punk rock clubs there you go there you go just hangs out in punk rock clubs yeah <laughs> well, but, but the part that I thought was more interesting is that that uh, it's from a film by Raymond Pettibone yeah. and Pettibone did the album cover. So again, yeah. it's like they're in New York. Not only are they in the, like the music punk scene, they're doing stuff with public enemy, but now they're hanging out with like the semi-famous outsider artists of that era, like yeah. Pettibone. Like well, what a, just all of these things come together in this way that I was not capable to process no. when I was 16 years old. No, not at that, all. Like, that this album is just like a distillation of a decade of New York underground from every angle. Well, right. And it's really, and it's really them, uh, uh, just ahead of the curve in so many ways. I mean, you know, in this book, they're talking about, um, uh, a hey, lot of stuff on the titanium expose. A lot of stuff on sister something. was based on, uh, Philip K. Dick and, and all of the, the stuff coming out of which song do you want me to play? Uh, titanium. Oh yeah, I love um, this track. And and how basically they met, or Kim Gordon met Richard Pettibone at a, a party that like um, fucking Henry Rollins was having in his backyard or something in L.A. Yeah. It's just like they just fucking know everyone, and and they and it's you know you know what it is. I know what it is that I'm thinking that I I love about. Uh, their aesthetic is like everything is kind of on this even playing field it's like oh you do you're doing this and you're uh you're coming up with this record and you're you're coming from this background and you're oh great cool it's all the same it's all like interesting and and our uh contribution can be to just jam these things together in weird ways kind of like we do when we tune a guitar and nobody's ever tuned it this way right <laughs> well it's, it's almost like the band's aesthetic just in inside their own album too right right like in a weird way i don't know if i want to listen to 12 thurston moore songs or 12 i know that i don't because he's put out a lot of albums and i don't buy them oh they're and good I, and, and i don't want to listen to like 12 lee ronaldo songs in a row and Does I mean, I did have a, a couple like guys. Free Kitten, Kim Gordon's. Oh, like, yeah, 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 totally. Like had a few of those. But honestly, I don't pull those out very often. But when you ebb and flow between all of their styles and layer their talents on top of each other and the way that goo kind of ebbs and flows between this sort of Thurston aesthetic and a Lee aesthetic and a Kim aesthetic kind of back and forth. Right. That, that I like. Like if you could have a five disc changer with solo Thurston, Free Kitten, uh, Lee Ronaldo side project, right? And it was just on random. Then you might have well, a goo. You'd have this album. You'd have goo. <laughs> right, right, right. That's what you would be making is like artificially constructed goo. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, oh, out of context, that sounds really gross. Um, yeah. You, oh, you know what's crazy too is Appetite for Destruction came out like a month before this record too. Like I found out. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, on man. Geffen. On um, Geffen. And, that, and they were a little bit like, oh, this is a piece of like, you know. Uh, misogynistic trash on our label but whatever <laughs> you know like appetite for destruction appetite for destruction yeah. well I, I mean again the 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 um the, the shades of change that are going on i mean guns and roses if if anybody remembers represented a pretty radical departure from what was going on in hair metal at the yeah, time yeah 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 you know, they were more like back to the blues roots. They had more of an L.A. look. Mm -hmm. They weren't all. I mean, they were hair metal and flashy, but they 
they weren't like dumb like Poison and Motley Crue. Right. Um, so, so it, it was wasn't like, glam, you seen right? People getting it was in a lot of ways dirty. sick of hair metal. Yeah. And then just the Pixies, Jane's Addiction, Nirvana, Sonic Youth just showed up with a fucking sledgehammer. Well, but but Sonic, that's the thing. Sonic Youth was already there. Right. They were just like, yeah, we're doing this too. This but is I cool. do think, I mean, if, if you listen to those first seven albums, if you listen yeah. up through Dirty or even up through Experimental Jet Set, like Sonic Youth evolved into their role of like breaking the norms. Like like to go yes, from goo yes, yes. to Dirty, which I think of as like a skate rock band, right. a skate rock album, right. like is, is like an, an acknowledgement on their part that they're moving into a more mainstream like yes. sound. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's funny, too, because in a lot of ways, they did the punk rock thing of touring all over and getting those connections so that the next time, you know, they're, they're an example of a band that steadily became, like, grew into it because of their approach and they're just, like, you know, constantly touring and going out there and and creating those connections for the next time they toured and the next record and the next record and like that that's how you get goo i mean in, in some ways you know well let's let's play i want to talk for a while about um tunic a song for karen oh yeah so um if you could just crank that up and we'll it's a long song so we'll, we'll play a chunk of it because i i think this is well we'll come back to that if you it just crank it up Dude, what a crazy song. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so who <laughs> starts off with Dirty Boots? Yeah. Which is kind of a surrealist. The lyrics are kind of all over the place, but yeah. it's sort of about a girl going to a club and meeting weird people. And then we launch into a full-on story song about Karen Carpenter dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what the... Who let this happen? Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, like, they really... Can, they can do whatever they want. It's amazing. And get it away really with it. Is. And get away with it. You know, it's, it's I mean, again, yeah. I, when I was 16, I barely knew who Karen Carpenter no, was. I could no not idea. process what was going on in this song. No. And it's such a kind of a dreamscape, but also a, a, it's like a story of her last, I don't know, her visions going to heaven and meeting her dead heroes. Like, it's just such a weird concept for a song. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, like, the more you get to know Sonic Youth and you realize especially later on Dirty and on, on Jet Set, like a lot of Kim Gordon's songs are sort of elevating feminist heroes or elevating totally. women's like themes oh, yeah. in these really oh, strange God. ways. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, I sort of read this as like, you know, Karen Carpenter is a victim of her own success and, and Kim Gordon trying to kind of call out sort of all sides of the Karen Carpenter experience. Like, mm-hmm. I, I get all that as an adult, but as a kid, I was just like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. They weren't, and that's the other thing too, they weren't just taking all of this for for granted, I feel like. I feel like they're always either pushing the sound and pushing sort of the politics on top of everything else. I mean, yeah. yeah. They're, they're definitely one of the, like, all-star, you know, giant. Yeah. Well, and let's jump, you know, again kind of on the same thing let's jump to side two okay. you know Mildred Pierce which is a movie about a mother who goes crazy oh that's right, right. yeah you yeah wire hangers um, like oh is that again, wait they, is that yeah yeah I think you're right I know it was um, yeah what's her yeah anyway um, here let me pull up some info let's listen to some Mildred Pierce and I'll come back to some info Mildred Pierce The movie is from 1945. It's film noir, and it's told in flashbacks. It still stars uh, Joan Crawford. That's it, Joan Crawford. Um, and basically, uh, she um, it starts off with the murder of her second husband um, and kind of works backwards to how we arrived there. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of a famous, like Joan Crawford's, one of, one of her most famous performances. 
Um, it, uh, it's funny. I was just re- I was just I just found the section of this book where he talks about. Um, uh, a few days before embarking on a European festival tour, Thurston called filmmaker Dave Markey. A mere 28 years old, Markey had made his mark on the underground film circuit with Super 8 cult classics like Teenage, wait, Desperate Teenage Love Dolls and Love Dolls <laughs> Superstar. On the strength of those films <laughs> and a documentary he shot of Black Flag's final tour, Sonic Youth hired him to shoot Mildred Pierce, Cinderella's Big Score, and a 95 minute tour documentary called the year punk broke i mean that's wow. insane that is crazy wow, wow. now i gotta I, I gotta find those films seriously i mean that would be amazing to watch oh. um okay so uh any before we, we kind of play this out and yeah. do this disclaimer and talk about the next episode yeah um you know, we're going to do a lot of Sonic Youth on this podcast. I'm just looking at their discography going like there's three, four, five albums on here we have to talk about. So uh, without going into any of that stuff, your final thoughts on Goo this week? My final thoughts. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, for all these reasons we talked about, it, it's really like the beginning of, you know, it's the nevermind of Sonic Youth. It's, it is. It's I actually like, think it's more important than Nevermind. It's the, no, no, totally. I'm saying it's it's the it's Sonic Youth's equivalent of that sort of milestone recording of like uh, here's sort of a culmination of here here's every here's all kinds of pop culture fucking yes. thrown back through you know the shitty fuzz pedal and some reverb and then you know a melted amplifier. And um, yeah, and and for totally different people's version of what's happening in the world. And oh yeah, you get goo. And and you know what's awesome is honestly that that box set or wherever you can find the eight the eight track demos that they did of these songs. Uh, Thurston Moore says like those are the versions that they love. And when they went to record goo, they were like, oh, we're sort of re-recording this album because we right. already did it and it's great. And so those demos are like really the album in a lot of ways. See, for me, sort of my final thoughts on Goo are knowing what happens later. So this is benefit of hindsight kind of stuff. But I feel like Daydream Nation is such a magnum opus. Yeah. But was done in this context where they weren't famous. They were just trying to make the most amazing thing that they could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And Goo is done for, you know, like you hear them for an audience. selling out. They're on it's a major true. label. Like Goo really has one foot in both worlds goo is aware that it has a huge audience and what are you going to do with it you've done daydream nation what are you going to do now because everybody's watching yeah Yeah, and then the next album dirty is so clearly like done for a mainstream pop audience right yeah so goo is the one sonic youth album that that deliberately or accidentally i guess more straddles that it it straddles both sides of their career Mm -hmm. get songs like Moat, which we'll play out on, or right. Titanium Exposé, or uh, or Mary Christ, or th- these songs that would never ever cross into a mainstream audience, pitted next to songs like Cool Thing and Dirty Boots, <laughs> yeah. that, that are like totally like radio ready, right? Right. right. And, and it's 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 in a lot of ways the only Sonic Youth album that really manages to slam both sides of their career together and mm-hmm. get that evil, dirty yeah. like raw punk sound bad mood rising stuff mm-hmm. from like the early 80s right. in with like what would happen later in the 90s um, on, on one disc I mean I yeah. think that's amazing yeah, yeah it is oh yeah. oh yeah 100% right you, you have these four 
completely different viewpoints coming together and the mashup of styles and it's yeah i mean you know and, and a lot of people could make the case that well it's too all over the place or you know or like you could see that being a criticism but i think that's a lot of the point of what they're doing is we're putting you know we we're we're tearing these things apart we're putting them back together they're yeah. all they're all equally valuable and the noise is as good as the like harmony yeah well and, and not for nothing at the time that they recorded this album um Thurston Moore would have been 31 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Jeez. So when we talked a little bit about age, the impact of age on bands when we did the album about the organ. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I do think that's important. I think oh, yeah. at 31, you're old enough to actually have your shit together and know how to put together a good album and a good tour and a good career. Yeah. But you're still young enough. Like I know Thurston yeah, yeah, and yeah. Kim were together, but they didn't have kids at that point. Like you're still young enough that you're willing to go on tour and put in all the effort and like yeah. do all the crazy shit that it takes to be successful as yeah. a band and experiment and try things. Like this album is really a sweet spot of like a decade of growth the right level of maturity and also the right level of, of still being young enough to capitalize on yeah. it. Like it's also just in their life, the perfect time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's the, it's a definite sweet spot of experience and still having the energy to fucking slog it out and yeah. doing just, you know, hotel rooms and fucking on to the next city, you know, like Jesus, <laughs> the slog. Of All right. Fucking so touring. here's the disclaimer we do at the end of every episode. Yes. Uh, we don't own the rights to this music. We're not trying to make any money off of this podcast. We're simply doing this to celebrate music that we love. If for some reason you don't want us to play this music, just contact us and let us know. We'll take it down. No questions asked. Um, I mean, if you're Geffen Records or a member of the band, just random people can't just ask us to take it down. Right. Um, they probably could. But uh, you know, if, you, if you represent the band or the, or the label, we're, we're, we're not going to put up a fight. We don't want to get sued. Um, but also, please know that we're fans of the music. We're just trying to celebrate what we're doing. So if, if you could be cool with that, we'd, we'd appreciate it. Please be cool. Just yeah. be cool, people. Just be cool, people. Oh, man. Super. Uh, all right, Jay, you get to pick next week's uh, album. What are we going to talk okay, about? Okay, 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 okay. Uh, in this, you know what? I, I have to, um, uh, when, as soon as Thurston said that My Bloody Valentine was like just a trendy fucking, like, goes with whatever's yeah. cool band, I, I got it. I have to have the counterpoint of Loveless. So we're going to have to listen to that. Okay, so next episode, Jason will present for us My Bloody Valentine's album, Loveless, which I'm going to admit, I don't know. It's not one that I'm familiar with. So I'm going to learn a lot. The You're rest fired. of you will learn a lot. And Jay, why don't you play us out on the Lee Ronaldo track, the last song from Side One of Goo, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, called Moat.
Just fall.